All right, students, as promised, this is our final lecture, Homer's Iliad, 2019, lecture 24, book 24, but also as promised, we're going to return to book 22 very briefly to see the final moments of Homer's life, or excuse me, Hector's life, in order to frame this lecture appropriately. Let's look at book 22, line 337 now. This is Hector in his weakness. I entreat you, he has just been struck by Achilles and is going to die. By your life, by your knees, by your parents, do not let the dogs feed on me by the ships of the Achaeans, but take yourself the bronze and the gold that are there in abundance, those gifts that my father and the lady my mother will give you, and give my body to be taken home again, so that the Trojans and the wives of the Trojans may give me in death my right of burning. But looking darkly at him, swift-footed Achilles answered, No more entreating of me, you dog. By knees or parents, I wish only that my spirit and fury would drive me to hack your meat away and eat it raw for the things that you have done to me. So there is no one who can hold the dogs off from your head, not if they bring here and set before me ten times and twenty times the ransom and promise more in addition, not if Priam, son of Dardanus, should offer to weigh out your bulk and gold, not even so shall the lady, your mother, who herself bore you, lay you on the deathbed and mourn you. No, but the dogs and the birds will have you all for their feasting. Then, dying, Hector of the Shining Helmet spoke to him, I know you well as I look upon you. I know that I could not persuade you, since indeed in your breast is a heart of iron. Be careful now, for I might be made into the gods' curse upon you on that day when Paris and Phoebus Apollo destroy you in the sky and gates for all your valor. All right, so we have read that together. And so, the focus now shifts. After Achilles has defeated Hector, horror fills the souls of all the Trojans. And we return to the wall where, apparently, the Trojan women and men have been watching this single combat. Uh, very exhilarating. And, well, the worst thing possible has just now happened. Not only has Hector died, Achilles has stripped his armor, which actually happens to be Achilles' armor, if you recall, because Hector was wearing the armor that he stripped from Patroclus, and Patroclus was wearing Achilles's armor, so it was almost like Achilles was killing himself slash Patroclus when he killed Hector, and in fact he was sealing his fate, because recall uh, Zeus's line of fate reasoning. Patroclus will kill Sarpedon, then Hector will kill Patroclus, Achilles will then kill Hector, and then Troy, after a series of events, will fall uh, with the help of Athena. So now Priam, Hecuba, and Andromache's worst fears have been imagined. Andromache's worst fears from book six. Remember that uh, she had that terrible conversation with Hector where he said, I really hope that I am dead by the time that the Achaeans sack this city and lead you and Deceonax away as uh, slaves. And, well, now Hector is dead, and he will not have to see Andromache led away as a slave. Uh, spoiler alert, she will be led away as a slave. She will not be led away with Deceonax. He will be... Uh, taken care of in the gangster sense of the expression. Um, he'll be swimming with the fishes. Sorry, he won't. He's going to get dropped off the wall of Troy, so there are no fishes there. And um, Andromache will actually be taken as slave, not by Achilles, who will then be dead, but by Achilles' son, whose name is Neoptolemus. And you'll be hearing a lot about Achilles' son uh, within the next couple of weeks. Just imagine him as a clone of Achilles who shows up essentially immediately after Achilles dies. And even though you're like, doesn't Shouldn't he only be like 10 years old? The answer is yes, and yet he will be like a fully grown Achilles with red hair. All right, 
In any case, Andromache here talks about how hard Astyanax's life is going to be without a father, which I think is a very touching moment. Life without a father, uh, with only a mother, would seem to be difficult. And Andromache says, you know, sometimes there are situations where boys are playing with boys, and a boy uh, needs to be defended by his father, and if he's not there, then the other boys can pick on him. And that's a very sad thing to think about, uh, Astyanax growing up without his father, and yet it's even sadder to think about the fact that he is not going to have to worry about growing up without a father, because he is not going to have to worry about growing up, because he will not make it to his adult age, because his father will not be there, not only to defend him, but to defend his city. So, the tragedy really does begin. I have two images here, uh, very horrifying images, but very popular images of Achilleus, and if you want to look this up, it's very easy. Just look up Achilles or Achilleus dragging Hector. You'll find vase painting after vase painting after a piece of art. It's just horrifying looking. You have all these seeming Achaeans, probably eyes is the big one in the back here, uh, following Achilleus with Xanthos and Valios here, and then kind of in the background there you see Hector getting dragged, getting dragged behind. You see a vase painting here, a black figure vase painting of Achilleus dragging uh, Hector with even a goddess trying to reason with him. He's not going to uh, follow that reasoning. All right. In any case, let's now move on to book 24. The image at the top here is that of Priam kissing the hand of Achilleus. All right. For 12 days, Achilleus tries to abuse Hector's body. So 12 days, no fighting occurs. 12 days, Achilleus just does whatever he can to try and denigrate Hector, to try and denigrate Hector's body. You might say that really what he denigrates, however, is just himself and his own Kleos and reputation, because what are people saying while he does this? Is he earning any honor or glory for himself, or is he acting utterly inhuman? What is accomplished by beating a dead horse? What is accomplished by beating a dead man for 12 straight days? And what he does is he, he can't sleep at night. And we don't know why he can't sleep, but probably it has something to do with his actions and how abnormal they are, and also his sadness over Patroclus' death, and also possibly the fact that he has not resolved the fact that he was in some way responsible for Patroclus' death. And so, over and over again, he continues to do what we would describe as the wrong thing. Rather than moving on, or trying to make amends for his action, or trying to uh, uh, continue to defeat the Trojans, which, you know, is a pretty important thing, the whole reason that he's there, he will get up in the middle of the night. Listen to how crazy this is. Take Hector's body, reattach it to the chariot, and then lash his horses and run around the campfire where he sacrificed the 12 Trojan youths that he caught in the river Xanthos. So he will literally ride in his chariot in the middle of the night around a fire with Hector's body being dragged behind him. And everybody, you can imagine, has the look that I'm seeing being given to me right now. Uh, utter horror. What is going on here? This is very batty. I think that you could make a pretty funny satire of something like this. In any case... Everybody gets tired of this, including even the gods. The gods debate what to do. In fact, they keep telling Argefontes, remember that's one of the names for Hermes, to go steal this body back because nobody wants to see Hector being despoiled like this and everybody's ready for something new to happen. It's been 12 days. It's almost two weeks, a fortnight. In any case, Zeus decides to convince Achilles to give the body back. 
How he does it is this. He is the king of the gods. He doesn't really need to do much to convince people. And so he summons Thetis. Very smart decision on his part. That is the mother of Achilles. If anybody's going, uh, if he is going to listen to anybody, it will be to his mother under the command of a god Zeus. And what Zeus commands Thetis to do is to go back to Achilles and to convey to him that he is to allow a ransom for Hector's body. This needs to end. And the war needs to continue. And everybody's lives need to move on. Thetis will then convey to Achilles the displeasure of the gods and the fact that he is to ransom the body of Hector. Uh, Thetis goes down to Achilles. Achilles sees, it, sees his mother. He agrees to what she says because the Olympian orders it. It's just a one-sentence reply. Interesting. Very interesting. In any case, Zeus then sends Iris to tell Priam that he must go to Achilles in person to ask for his son's body. This is a very incredible thing to ask. Priam and Achilles, though for ten years have been fighting against each other, Achilles trying to destroy uh, the sons of Priam quite effectively at this point, and including his top son, Hector, um, and uh, Priam, of course, trying to rid his land of all the scourge of the Achaeans, including Achilles. As long as they've been fighting against each other, they have never stood in the same room. They have never been in the presence of each other. They've never seen each other as humans. And so, what Priam is going to be asked to do is to go out in the middle of the night, essentially alone, he'll have one person with him, uh, driving the wagon he's on, which will have all sorts of gifts, and to go uh, negotiate with Achilles directly the release of his son, which uh, is utterly insane, because he is the king. He is like the king on the chessboard. It, if he is killed, the war is over. And uh, if he goes to the Achaean camp, who might see him? Any of the several hundred centuries? Well, who might see him? Any of the people within the camp? Can he defend himself? No, he's like Nestor. He's old. Any Achaean that sees him will see a giant target on him and will kill him. And yet this is what he has to do if he wants to make things right by getting his son back and then burying him. Apparently, he cares more about doing this than anything else in the world, the war effort, his own life, and, uh, well, that makes sense, because actually when we, come, when we come to meet him, when Iris comes to him, we see that he's actually, uh, he's actually been on the ground, ripping his hair out, and has actually been uh, wiping animal feces on his face. That's how little he cares about life right now, how little dignity he is conducting himself with, and in fact, actually, this is a sort of funny moment, he looks at his sons that are still alive, and he calls them poor abuses, wretches, not men at all, including Deiphobos, and of course, uh, Paris is in that group. Paris is still alive, very much alive. And what is uh, the expression? Uh, the, it's, it's usually not the good who die last, and that is certainly the case in, uh, for Paris. In any case, so, Priam has been told that he needs to go out into the night with a wagon full of stuff and go to the Achaean camp. Sounds pretty crazy to every Trojan. They think, you're going to die, get robbed, this is not going to work. Hecuba, in particular, says this to Priam, saying, uh, I didn't see the goddess that told you to do this. That seems crazy to me. That said, he's going to do it. So Hecuba says, okay, pour a libation, pray to Zeus before starting out, and that's the best thing you can do. You have a hope and a prayer. It would be the expression we use these days. Priam does that, and then he sees a bird sign. He sees the eagle over his head, and he thinks, hmm, oh, yeah, yeah. That seems to be Zeus saying that this uh, sign has been, or that my libation has been accepted. Cool. Okay. 
Something interesting about this scene, and I'll lay it out for you, is that in book 24, it is the final book of the Iliad. In uh, the Odyssey is also 24 books. This is uh, the books, which are chapters essentially, would have been the number of scrolls that these stories were originally told on, which were very expensive pieces of papyrus that you would just unroll, unfurl. And so the idea is that it would take 24 of those scrolls to actually copy down this work. Hmm. Interesting. In book 24 of the Odyssey, we actually go to the underworld. Well, in book 24 of the Iliad, we have a scene very reminiscent of the underworld. Several characteristics. Here they are. It's dark. You must cross a river to get there. The river in the underworld itself is called the River Styx. It is, uh, we will see the River Styx actually in the Aeneid and in the Divine Comedy. And it is the river of the dead that the ferryman of the dead, Charon, takes one across. So one has a divine guide take one across a river to a gated structure. The gate then is a difficult gate to open, not in the Inferno, but in the Purgatorio it will be. And then within that gate you will find the dead. Well, what is Priam doing tonight? He goes out at night with a wagon, has to cross a river with a god helping him. That god will be Hermes, the guide of messengers. He will then get to a gate that supposedly ten men could not open, but Achilleus could himself. Hermes, being a god, will also open that gate fairly easily. And then Priam, going inside that gate, will find a man who represents death and is pitiless, Achilleus, and will find the dead man he is looking for, Hector. And he will take that dead man back with him. And so many people do see those parallels between the afterlife and the underworld and this book there together. It's almost like it is its own epilogue. In any case, in any case, yes. And so I, I really should have given you this slide earlier, so I'll just reiterate it. Don't write the three, just start with two. So Priam goes out at night, is guided by a so-called psychopomp. That means a guide of souls. The word psycho, just like the word psychology, comes from the Greek word suke, which means soul or spirit. Pomp comes from the word tempane, which means to send. So sender or guide of souls. Hermes is this psychopomp who will guide Priam across the river, across the plain, through the gate, and to Achilleus tonight in the guise of one of Achilleus's myrmidons, by the way. He will open this immovable gate at the Achaean wall. Ten people are usually necessary to move it, or one Achilleus. And then, of course, as I said, um, Priam will have to plead with Achilleus and to ransom his dead son. And he will do so effectively. He will do so effectively. And actually, we will see a very special moment today. As I told you, Achilleus has been acting in Himuli. He doesn't eat. He can't sleep. He doesn't seem to be empathy or empathetic or have compassion. He doesn't feel normal human emotion for people. He's doing terrible things like dragging a noble champion behind his chariot and then dragging him in circles in the middle of the night around a place where he did a hu where he actually committed a human sacrifice and he did actually kill those 12 Trojan men which is not something that was done at that time and so he is acting quite we would say out of line out of character uh, inhumanly all right Priam is guided across the plain guided across the water by Hermes who is in disguise he does not know that Hermes is helping him Hermes then opens the gate to the Achaean camp, and Priam enters. Priam enters the camp, finds, or is led to the shelter of Achilleus, which, as you recall, is on the 
diametric other end of the camp, so Priam has to walk through the entirety of the Achaean camp. Remember that uh, the gate is close to where Aias's ship is, and Aias's ship is on one end, Achilles' is on the whole other. Remember that Odysseus's is in the middle. He enter, Priam enters into Achilles' tent. And the first thing that he does is he gets on his knees, takes the hand of Achilles, kisses the hand, or the hands of Achilles, and says to him, I have done to you what no other man has ever done. I have killed, or I have kissed, the hands of my son's killer. Perhaps uh, that's a Freudian slip. Perhaps he would like to kill the man who killed his son. But probably not. Probably he wishes that his son simply were still alive and killing Achilles will not accomplish bringing him back to life. That said, both of their deaths are soon to come, though not during the Iliad. Uh, but definitely during the end, uh, during the beginning of the end and the end of the Trojan War. I'll talk about that with you next week. Don't worry. Okay. Priam enters and supplicates Achilles. In so doing, uh, something that I should mention here is that when Achilles first sees Priam, he's taken by awe. He's like, whoa, this is a pretty regal-looking guy. He's a very impressive man. He's impressed by him. And well, when Priam sees Achilles, Achilles is a very impressive human. Uh, essentially the most impressive human alive at that time. And they kind of look at each other and take each other in. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I see what all the stories were about. But then Achilles, while looking at Priam, starts to be reminded of another old man. Another old man that he can imagine being sorry. Another old man for being sorry about the fact that he will never see his son again. And that old man is his father, Peleus, who we haven't focused much on. But his father is aging, getting old. And Achilles' destiny is twofold. Either long life, no glory. Well, that would be a life where he would see Peleus again. But we know that he chose the second destiny. Short life, plenty of glory. And he chose that life when he killed Hector. And so that means that when he chose to kill Hector, he also chose never to see his father again. And so he knows that when he dies, who will feel very similar to Priam? His own father. And so in realizing his own connection to his father and the sadness that he causes to him, he starts to break down. He starts to become human again. And in fact, while Priam is there in front of him, he starts to cry. Alternatively, about his own father, who he imagines being just like Priam, and for Patroclus, who is still very much freshly dead in his mind. And all the weight of everything that has happened and will happen finally hits him. And his inhumanity drains from him, and his humanity is restored. It's like what makes a person a human isn't simply that they eat and sleep, but that they recognize their own suffering and the suffering of others, and that the thing, at, the thing that connects us at the deepest possible level is that we all lose the things we love in this world. Every single one of us. And that's what both of them realize and share in that exact same moment. And Priam cries too. What does he have to cry about? Well... He had 50 sons at the beginning of the Trojan War. He has far fewer now, and the ones he does have are ones like Deiphobos, who disappeared on Hector, and Paris, who, well, we've heard what everybody thinks of Paris. Evil, cajoling, beautiful. Um, and so they both cry together. Enemies. One murderer of the other's children. 
And, well, they still managed to share this moment. And it's a very powerful moment in all of, uh, I would say, literature and thought. So, Achilleus then replies to Priam's speech. Priam says, please, give me my son back. You don't need his body back. We want to bury him. We want to give him the honors that his deeds and royal rank afford him. And he voices his admiration. And then Achilleus voices his admiration for Priam coming. He's like, wow, you know, I can see how Hector uh, sprang from you because... Wow, just coming into this camp alone, unguarded, at night, and seeing someone like me, who I, I am the most terrifying human alive right now, especially to a Trojan like you. Uh, and, well, he then describes, he says, well, the thing about human lives is that we don't control how much happiness we have. Zeus has two urns, and an urn is something that you keep the ashes of a dead person in. Interesting note is that Patroclus and Achilles, Patroclus in Book 23, we didn't read that together, there were funeral games. For Patroclus, like Olympic Games, chariot racing, wrestling, spear uh, uh, fighting, um, very so, sort of interesting. In any case, one th- Patroclus shows up to Achilles in a dream while Achilles sleeps on the beach during that time, and he makes a request of Achilles. He says, "Have our ashes buried together." It's like they loved each other so much; they were such good friends that even in eternity they went to be together. And actually, something sweetly to hear is that. Um, in Book 11 of the Odyssey, when we do go down to the actual underworld, Hades, we will see Patroclus and Achilles still very much together. And we'll see uh, a couple other of their friends who unfortunately are alive at this moment, but won't be alive at that moment down there too, including uh, <clears throat> Antilochus. Sorry. Uh, Achilles orders his servants to clean and wrap the body for moving, but to keep it out of Priam's sight. So, he does agree to give the body back to Priam. The reason why he does not want Priam to see the body of Hector is this is a very tense situation. Even though they've just shared this very moving moment. Even though Achilles sees Priam in the same way, in a way, that he sees his father, Priam is still the enemy. And Achilles still does have an attitude problem and issues with anger. If Priam sees his son dead... He might be overcome with emotion. If he's overcome with emotion, he might say the wrong thing to Achilles. What happens when you say the wrong thing to Achilles? Well, nothing good. We've seen that with Agamemnon. Maybe Achilles will kill Priam. So he's very intelligent to keep that body away from Priam so that nobody's emotions get out of line. In fact, it's very similar to uh, when two sovereign peoples get together these days. Like, say, if the president of our country goes to meet, say, the prime minister of, say, Russia... Or, or goes to see the Prime Minister of China, there's a very formalized procedure for how they meet each other. Well, why, you might ask. You say, it's very boring to watch that. It's like, because it's very important that none of, nobody act wrong, because if anybody acts wrong in that situation, it can lead to lots of people dying. And, well, it's similar in this case, too. All right. Achilles then apologizes to Patroclus for breaking his promise because he had promised that, at, that Patroclus would be buried and that Hector would be eaten by dogs and by birds. But I think that in this case, this is probably a promise worth breaking. Actually, when we get to the Paradiso next year and we uh, uh, learn about uh, um, the sphere of Mercury, the second sphere, you'll learn that uh, there is only really one condition under which you are allowed to break promises, and that is if the thing you promise is worse, or excuse me, if the result of your promise is the wor- is worse than breaking your promise itself. And an example will actually be given uh, from Idomeneus, who makes a promise at the end of the Trojan War that whatever the first thing he sees when he gets back to Crete, he will sacrifice. And the first thing he sees is his son. 
so he sacrifices his son. Dante will say, that's a case where you should probably break your promise. And, well, I think Dante would agree here that uh, uh, if your promise was to a dead person, Patroclus, who no longer cares, that you would let another man be uh, eaten by dogs, which uh, is the most disrespectful thing you can possibly do to a champion like Hector, then maybe that's a promise worth breaking. In any case, Achilles then tells a very odd story about this woman, Niobe. He, said, he, offers, he offers Priam food, and this is very interesting because you see, again, another element of being a human coming back. He tries to share food with somebody. This is something that we do several times a day, every day of our lives as humans. And in fact, religiously, it's called communion to some people. It's even considered a holy act. And so Achilles says, hey, you need to eat Priam, because even this woman, Niobe, who arrogantly bragged that she had 14 children, though in Homer she says 12 children. I have 12 children, Leto, goddess, former consort of Zeus, and mother of Apollo and Artemis. She only has two children. So I have 12, she has two. Who's better? Well, Leto heard this. And Leto said, um, I'll tell you who's better. Apollo, go kill all her sons. Artemis, go kill all her daughters. And actually, if you read Ovid's Metamorphoses, this is uh, figured they, they, all the sons and daughters start to die by invisible arrows. They're like looking at each other, and then horror struck, and then one just like falls, and they start to cry. It's terrifying and terrible, so I highly recommend that you read it. And then, when the father finds out about all the children dying, he commits suicide. So Niobe, who had everything in the world, she's a queen, she had 12 children, and she had a wonderful husband, it's reduced to nothing. In fact, she supposedly starts to cry so much that her face turns into a rock, and her eyes become the sources of the water for a waterfall. The idea being that, can you lose everything in this world? Yes. Do you still need to eat? Yes. It's like a Twix commercial. It's like the Iliad version of a Twix commercial. Recently lost everything you love in this world? Children? Husband? Future? Well gotta have twigs. Or I guess it's a Snickers, Snickers commercials, you know, those commercials. Yes? Why, why is Artemis? Artemis? And the other names, why are they green? Why are they green? Oh, their names are green because the gods that are on the Trojan side are, are highlighted in green. The gods that are on the Achaean side are highlighted in purple, and the gods that are neutral are usually highlighted in blue, Iris and Zeus. Good question, good question. All right. So, Priam is convinced. He and Achilles share food of all the people you would imagine that Achilles would share his first meal with after going so crazy all the way back in books 18 and 19. You probably would not have imagined that the first person he would eat with would be Priam, the king of Troy, who he is trying to kill, and who, in fact, his son will kill. His son will, drag, will kill one of Priam's sons in front of him named Pilates, according to the Aeneid, will then drag Priam through his son's blood, and will then cut his head off on an altar to the gods. And so, uh, something Priam will say, which I think is correct at that time, is even though you are the son of your father, you are nothing like him. And I think that there is some evidence that that is true here, because Achilles is not killing Priam. He is treating him with respect. He is giving Hector his body back. He is giving him food, and he will even give him a place to sleep. And then Achilles will go to sleep. And so you might say that this story, rather than being a story about war, quote-unquote, which is a very sloppy and lazy way of describing this story, I would say, 
is a story about how one loses one's humanity, but then how one regains it as well. You might say that this is a story about what it means to be a human, regardless of what is happening around you. In any case, they feast and Achilleus agrees to restrain the Achaeans for 12 days. He agrees to do that. That's interesting. He's not Agamemnon. Still a bit arrogant. Still doing what he does, stepping on toes. And these 12 days will be used by the Trojans to have funeral games and do funeral preparations for Hector. I think that's actually a really cool thing that the ancient people did. That's about two weeks to celebrate and mourn. And I mean, honestly speaking, if you had that much time to mourn for somebody, you'd probably get a lot of it out. And I like the idea that they have funeral games as well. They celebrate the life of somebody and the achievements, and sometimes they even dole out their, um, their um, uh, possessions during that sort of time, uh, which I think is interesting and very good. We're very busy these days. We don't usually have 12 days for a big-time funeral. In any case, Priam then goes to sleep, but not inside the shelter, rather outside, just in case some Achaean comes looking for strategy advice for Achilles in the middle of the night. But while he's sleeping, Hermes shows up and says, I don't know why you're sleeping. This is the Achaean camp. You are the Trojan king. What happens if somebody catches you here? They will kill you or ransom you. It will be terrible. You will not get Hector's body back. We need to go. It's the middle of the night. And so Priam gets up with Hermes, goes back to the city. Something interesting. First person to see him when he gets back to the city is a very famous woman named Cassandra. You'll hear a lot about her next week especially in uh, uh, relation to Agamemnon and Aias the Lesser. She has a very interesting gift curse. Apollo really loved her, thought, hmm, you are a mighty fine lady, Cassandra. And so he said, become my wife. And she said, okay, but give me a gift. He said, what do you want? She said, the gift of prophecy. She said, okay, but I don't actually like you, so I'm going to keep the gift of prophecy and not marry you. And he said, okay, well then I'm going to curse you. You will keep the gift of prophecy because I can't undo what I've already done. But no one will ever believe you. And I think that that's like the ultimate high school curse. To always be able to see what's going to happen and what the truth is. But to have nobody ever believe you. Probably something you've said to an authority figure before is, why doesn't anybody ever listen to me? And it's like, well, maybe you're cursed by Apollo too. Alright. <laughs> In any case, Hermes awakens them in the middle of the night and they go back to the city. Okay. We're going to have to go through this very quickly. The Iliad ends with three women mourning over the body of Hector. It ends not in glory, but in sadness. The first person to lament the death of Hector is Andromache, his wife, who repeats her early theme, or her earlier theme, of thinking about the hard future ahead for herself and the Steenax. She will not have to worry so much about a Steenax. She will have a fairly difficult future ahead of her. She will be enslaved, uh, and she will lose her son. So she has more to lose. Recall she'd also recently lost her father, her, uh, her mother, and all her brothers when Achilles uh, stormed uh, Edeon's city of Theba. Second woman to mourn over Hector's body, who also loved him. His mother, of course, Hecuba. And she even asserts, of course, that Hector was her favorite son. And I right there, obviously, think about the other ones, like Paris. Not much to write home about. And that's very sad, too. And then, oddly, I always think, but interestingly, because, of course, she is the beginning of this war, and so she should be the end of this book, is Helen. Helen, of all people, is the third. And she praises Hector. And this, I think, is supposed to really get all the tears. For being the only person who was ever kind to her when everybody else was harsh. And so the Trojans then gather wood, 
for the pyre for nine days. On the 10th, they immolate Hector. On the 11th, they bury him. On the 12th, back to business. That was Homer's Iliad. Good work today, students.